Warning, this podcast will challenge your thinking. Welcome to Business Problems Solved. In this podcast, we help you solve your business problems by providing real examples and practical approaches to make today better than yesterday. Introducing your host, the multi-sector, self-professed, most improved improvement person and qualified business problem solver, Lee Horton. Hey, it's Lee. Welcome to Business Problem Solved. Today, I'm talking with Richard McCann. If you're not familiar with his work and or his story, then definitely, definitely, please listen, listen to it. It's um, an amazing story. He's uh, had such tragedy and how he's overcome that and got through to be the successful person he is today is a credit to, to himself um, and, his, and his resilience. He shares that story. He shares some of the things that have helped him um, overcome some of the things that he's gone through. And he also shares his top three presentation tips. Hope you enjoy it as much as I did talking to him. Hey, it's Lee. Welcome to Business Problem Solve. Today, I have great pleasure in having a conversation with somebody who I've been um, following on LinkedIn for quite a while. I'd like to introduce Richard McCann. Hello there, Richard. How are you? Good afternoon, Lee. I am fine. I'm absolutely top of my uh, game today. Top of your game today? What, what, how come top of the game today? It's, it's Monday. You, do you not peak on a Wednesday? Well, first of all, actually make a good point. I'm sick to death of those people that can't stand Mondays. I love Mondays. It's the start of the week. It's the start of the week. Lots to get done. And yeah, so I'm I'm on I'm on fire today. And, and then, it's also my son's birthday. So is 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 twelve today. So we're going out shortly for an evening meal. So it's all good. It's all good. Oh, fantastic, fantastic, and uh, and happy happy birthday to them as well. Um, okay. So for those people that don't know you, who are you? And uh, and how have you got to, uh, to 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 sit there today on this on this Monday and uh, and do what you're doing? So tell us a little bit about you. Well, I mean, I'm I'm a father of three. I'm a married man, and I've got my own business. It's the it's the it's the I Can Academy with a name like Richard McCann and I Can being in my name. It's and it's a nice brand to have, and it's I guess it forms the essence of who I am and what I do. Yeah. I'm a key I'm a keynote speaker. And obviously, we'll get into my story a little bit, but I'm a keynote speaker. I'm a presentation skills coach and a Times number one best-selling author. I've written four books. And I've got a bit of a story to tell, to be fair, Lee. And that's what, I guess, the story that I've had is what's brought me to do what I do today. Okay. Good, good. So, so go on then. What, what is your story? Well, I imagine there's been plenty of people listening that have no idea what my story is. And it's, it's quite hard-hitting, but it is what it is. But 44 years ago this week, in fact, we had the anniversary last Wednesday, I lost my mum. I was age five and we lost my mum to Peter Sutcliffe, the serial killer who became known as the Yorkshire Ripper. And, you know, even though, even as I say those words, you know, still part of me you know, doesn't want to believe that, but it is what happened all those years ago. And for many, many years, it meant I went on a downward spiral, low self-esteem, lacked confidence. You know, you know I just... I just had a very turbulent life, children's home, you know, solvent abuse, alcohol. It was quite a messy childhood. And I think it's because of that start in the story that just gives me, I don't know, a bit of an edge, but certainly some credibility when I'm talking about resilience and bouncing back from situations. Yeah. So and that's, well, I mean, that's not who I am. That's just something I experienced. There's more to me than losing one to Peter Sutcliffe and, there was more setbacks, in fact, like going to prison 22 years ago on a drugs charge, which actually 
was probably the best thing that could have happened to me back then because I was going even further down a, a yeah. slippery slope. But, but it was the making of me. And I came out of prison 22 years ago. And before long, after a series of other events, I decided to write a book. And writing that book, which incidentally took some courage, that was the start of the journey that I've been on now for 15 years. Yeah. First, first an author on national TV, and people said, could you come and share that story with us at a conference? I didn't even know about conferences, and I had a fear of speaking, and still lacked confidence, but I did it, and well, the rest of history. I've now spoken over 2,500 times. I've been all around the world, Iran, Malaysia, Italy, Canada. I've become a very successful motivational speaker, which then eventually led to presentation skills, I guess from 2010. That's, I guess, who I am in a few minutes. Yeah, bloody, bloody hell, and it's a, it's it's one hell of a story as, as well. So, but, and I've got quite a, a number of questions. But what what was the turning point? I, I think the, the, there's been a number, but I think the big, the major turning point was was when I came out of prison in '97. I formed this. I mean, I couldn't get a job. I've got a criminal record. My girlfriend's dumped me. I formed a suicide pact with my sister. Sonia, who was with a violent guy at the time. Unfortunately, the very same day we discussed it, she took, well, she got drunk first. She took 30 paracetamol tablets and made that call to me, asking me to join her. That was a turning point for me because it brought me to my senses. I got Sonia into hospital and I went from a final job interview in September 97 and I got myself a job at the very last minute and, and I started rebuilding my life. So that was a big turning point. Yeah. But as far as my business and what I'm doing now, the, I guess the turning point was writing the book and finding the courage to write it because up until then I was ashamed of my story, ashamed of my life, ashamed of being associated with Sutcliffe. So so, so that was another turning point. So there's been a number uh, along the way. And, you know, when you, when you join all those little turning points together, it's a massive difference in your life. Yeah, com- completely, completely. So you, you've mentioned the book a couple of times, though. So which which parts of your life do you do you cover in the book? So, so the first book, which is just a boy, and that was the the number one bestseller, half a million copies, eleven languages. That is, I guess, predominantly it's my childhood. Yeah. You know, everything happened before mum. The night mum died. The children's home. The violence. But also leaving school, no qualifications, and also getting involved in prison, drugs. And then eventually they turn around. So that book ends probably about 2003, just when things are starting to settle down for me. It actually ends at my grandma's funeral, which felt like I was going to my mum's funeral because oh, wow. we, didn't, we didn't actually go to mum's funeral. In fact, I didn't know where she was buried until I was 16 years of age. So I never got to say goodbye for 10 years. But my granny's funeral is how the book ends. And it's really, I mean, I was in tears at that funeral thinking I was you know, saying goodbye to mum properly. Yeah, bloody hell. So how, how how do you go from that so to being the, the resilient per how, how do you overcome such tragedy um, and life events that are, but have, have kind of given you the, the I guess, the, the platform and to, to demonstrate your resilience? How do you do that? Well, I mean, each setback that I've had, I've, I guess I've dealt with it in slightly different ways, but there's an ongoing thing throughout my entire life, and that is, I mean, when mum died, first of all, one of the ways in which I got through that was to tell myself that mum had been taken away from all the violence by God to give us a better life. I know that sounds crazy, Lee, now, but you know what? That thought process helped me deal with the murder of my mum. 
And it's and, it, and, and the point I'm making here is when it comes to resilience and bouncing back, half the problem or half of the solution, should I say, is the way that you think about that situation. You yeah. know, my mum's death and any other setback that I've had, or most of them anyway, they're permanent. You know, yeah. losing my mum, I cannot bring my mum back. But how I feel about losing my mum, that's changed. So one of the things that I talk about in my resilience workshops, which is quite a new development, is things get better over time. I know I know this they say, you know, time's a great deal. It absolutely is. Life may never be the same again, but the pain will not be as acute as it was when it first happened. And those thought processes helped me be resilient. And 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 I just had another tragedy in my family just this year. I lost my younger sister. But I knew it could be worse. At least I had 13, 13 well, 40 odd years with her. At least I got to say goodbye to her because she, she had cancer. I didn't get to say goodbye to her. So it's my thinking, it's our thinking around the situations that you know, allows us to bounce back or not. Yeah, and, and you with that, that level of resilience, does that, does that put you in a really strong position to, to help the people that are close to you as well? Is, or with the thoughts of it, do you know what? I have tried and I've tried for years to help my, my family, but you know, sometimes people are not ready. Like, look, Sonia, who I formed the suicide pact with, she eventually did take a life in 2007. And I tried for years to get a therapy and rehab and all sorts of things. And as wise as I think I am when it comes to resilience and as, as inspirational as some people, as they may describe me, I couldn't help my sister. And I yeah. certainly couldn't help my sister Angela with her cancer because some things are out of your control. Yeah, yeah. Um, during your introduction, you said that you had a, a fear of speaking. As well, but and now you're a you're a speaker by trade, as, and that's one of the, the the. So how 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 did you overcome that? I, well, I think it's repetition, and it's you know what I knew. I mean, I got this invitation from my first professional presentation in two thousand and five. They'd seen me on this morning on ITV. They asked me to speak. Now I didn't know I was going to be a speaker, but I knew that when I came out of prison, my confidence had taken a kicking. I just thought if I can get on stage, if I can just find the guts to get on stage, surely that's going to help with this feeling that I've got, this anxiety. I used to get nervous just speaking to people one-on-one. So I did it, and I did it again, and then I got another one. And what I've discovered now in my own research and you know, reinforcing what I understand about anxiety and speaking is it is actually a, a form of dealing with it. You, know, you, become, you become desensitized to getting up. Your amygdala, that's the part of your brain where your fight or flight kicks in, where the fear is felt. It learns through experience. So if you've got a fear of spiders, put the spider in your hand. You, you'll learn that it doesn't bite you. So if you've got a fear of speaking, well, stand up and speak. And it'll, it won't be as good as it could be, but it'll be better than not doing it. And the more times you do it, that repetition, your amygdala learns that it's nothing to be scared of. At the end of the day, it's just a chat. It's just like what we're doing now. It's just a conversation. And we can all speak. Yeah. So we can start to speak. And the nerves will lessen over time. It's as simple as that. Nothing complicated about it. So, how how do you get people to take that first step? Because I, I imagine that first step, that speaking for the very first time, is is potentially harder than the second time. Um, so, how how do you get people to take that first step? Well, it's, I do it quite simply. I I ask all my presentations goes training either on one day or three day. We all start by asking people to stand up and share who they are. You know what they hope to get from the experience. But what I'm really doing, I mean, they could do that for being sat down, but I want them to stand up yeah. to feel comfortable because that's how your amygdala learns by being put under pressure to, to feel 
what it is that you're scared of. Because then that's how you learn not to be scared of it. So that's how I do it. I just get them to introduce themselves. And then throughout the entire training, whichever training you're on, you'd just be doing that over and over and over again. Got you. By the end of the experience, people are thinking, what was I worried about? Yeah. It's, a lot, it's great. You know, as a motivational speaker, I don't get to see the fruits of my labor. But on my presentation skills, I see people nervous and anxious, sometimes even crying at the beginning. But to see them develop throughout the whole experience, you know what? It's beautiful. Beautiful to watch. Yeah. I can I can ima- I can imagine I can I can I can definitely imagine. So when you say motivational speaker, because I see uh, quite a few people that have the the title of um, or, or refer to themselves as a motivational speaker. What is a motivational speaker to you? To me, a motivational speaker. Well, call myself a motivational speaker because that's what people search for. Yeah. But I think I, I actually think it's an inspirational speaker. That would be more accurate. But nobody's really searching for inspirational speaker. But for me, motivational, inspirational speaker is somebody with a story that's able to tell that story in such a way that people can relate to it and apply some of the, I don't know, strategies that that individuals apply to their situation, their setback, apply it to their own lives. That's a thing to go away and to do something with that inspiration and to hopefully change their lives, change which direction, change their role, change their marriage, whatever it may be. Yeah. Yeah, got you. Do you think everybody has a story in them? I mean, I, I hear this a number of times that people say that people everybody has a, has a story. Do do you believe that? Well, it is true. Everybody has a story. I mean, I've also heard that everybody's got a book in them. I'm not quite sure about that, but everybody's yeah. certain story. Now, whether or not they can find the confidence to stand up and share that story, and whether or not they can stand up and share it in a way that people can relate to it and be inspired by that, now that's a different matter. But I think that everybody's got the potential to share things on their journey within their life that other people could benefit from if they knew how to position it. And I sometimes get people say, oh, I've not got a story, I've not got a story. But actually, when you dig deep, they'll have been through something. Because what I found in my resilience workshops is every single person that's ever attended my resilience workshops has been through some challenge, some shape or another. So there will be some challenges in there, and that's where the inspiration comes from, learning how you or they have, have dealt with that challenge and you know, then however they've done it, maybe you can do it with, for your challenge. It doesn't always work out that way, but, you know, because everything that I've done might not work for you, Lee, but, yeah. you know, for the average person in the room who's been through a similar situation, most people can benefit from the way you've dealt with it. Yeah, and you said it, it comes down to how, how it's positioned. So how would you how would you advise somebody on, on how to position the story? Do you have a formula for that, or is it is it everybody's different? Well, my kind of general rule is, and so here's it not done well. Is it not done well? So, so my mum and my mum was murdered when I was a child, and obviously that you know, had a really negative impact on my life. And, and then we went from there, and we, we we lived with my dad, and he was brutal, and that's just sharing what I've been through. So the next level to make it more engaging or interesting or relatable to the audience, you might say, and I'm making this up on the spot here, but so my mum was murdered when I was a five-year-old boy, and and by Peter Sutcliffe. But what I've learned in my of my 50 years on the planet is this, I'm not the only person in this room that's been through a challenge. You, there will be people sat in front of me that's been through a challenge. I and mean, here's the great news. The very fact that I'm stood right in front of you demonstrates that we can all get through challenges. So I've, met, I've put on a few sentences there. So it's not just my story. I'm, ma- I'm making a point that most people might be able, be able to relate to. And I'm, forgive me for not preparing it. I'm just making it up on the, on the, on the, off the cuff. Yeah. I mean, the sharing it, and then the sharing it and making a point and speaking to the, it's almost like stepping out of the story and speaking to the audience. I think, and when I first started out, I didn't do that, Lee. I actually just told the story. 
Yeah. I remember sharing my story in 2006 to a, a professional speaker. He was American. And I, I actually went to meet him because somebody said I should meet him. His name is W. Mitchell. And I told him my story. You know what he said to me? Go on. I said, my mum was murdered by a serial killer when I was a child. He said, uh, so what? And I thought, you oh, wow. I've come to meet you. Somebody told me to come and see you and spend 600 pounds of it at this conference. And so what? How dare you? But he was right. Yeah. He was right. So what? And, and I, what he got me to think about was, so you've been through that and? Why are you telling me? Why is it important for your audience members? Why is it important for your client? And he's right. And so in my Gravitas Speaker Retreat, one of the modules we have is, so what? So you've broken your leg or you've, you've got no legs. So what? Tell that story so that you can inspire other people who may be through their own challenges. You know, so, so that was important learning for me, although it was painful at the time. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I, can, I can imagine it was. What's, what's the worst advice you've been given? <laughs> Great question. <laughs> In two, uh, the very same year that I met W. Mitchell, who did inspire me to become a speaker, I left university a week after meeting him and became a full-time speaker. But earlier that year in 2006, I shared my story and I did exactly what I described. I just shared the story and it was horrible. The delivery, the slides are amateur. I just told the story. I didn't relate it to the audience. Somebody said to me afterwards, no one's ever going to, going to want to listen to that. And also that is not conference material. So if I'd have listened to them and not done anything with my delivery, not got any coaching, they were right. It wasn't conference material. It wasn't conference material delivered like that is what they should have said. And you need a bit of support and guidance with this. So I, I ignored them and I went out anyway and I got some coaching. I met W. Mitchell. I've invested thousands in my, in my, I guess in my performance, in my delivery, my storytelling, because I knew I had a story. I just needed help with how to deliver it so that people would benefit or engage with it. And the rest is history. I love it now. Yeah, no, and that definitely comes across because, as you know, I, uh, I, I, I'm going to use the word stalk. I stalk you on uh, on LinkedIn, and uh, and and you are there. And what comes across is is definitely your passion for what you do, and that you do enjoy. It. And you started this call by saying it's Monday, you love it, and and here we go again. Um, what is what is it that that you love so much about what you do? Well, to be frank, it doesn't feel like a job. Yeah. Standing up and speaking, it's not, a, I mean, it is a job and it's professional, you know, but it, it doesn't, it's, it's not, my first, my very first job was ironing trousers in a factory, like a modern day sweatshop. You know, my right arm was massive, there was nothing on my left arm. That's not, I mean, that is a job. And I don't know who said it was, but someone said, if you can find a job that doesn't feel like work, you'll never, oh no, if you find a job that you love, you'll never work a day in your life again. And and that's what I love. I, standing up and speaking, it's, it's I love it. Yeah, I mean, there are, I have to say, even now, fifteen years on, there are still some audiences that I, do, <laughs> I, I enjoy less than others. Um, <laughs> when it's mostly men, maybe it's all accounting or something. Just, yeah, I don't know emotional awareness sometimes, or a willingness to let themselves go and feel what the speaker is saying. So uh, there are some some audiences that I prefer less than others, but I still try and enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. Um, whilst just uh, when you mentioned about uh, ironing trousers when you were younger, I, I think I've got to say that that you're probably one of the most well dressed people that uh, I follow on LinkedIn. Um, did, did did that come from uh, from those ironing the trousers days? I don't think it did. <laughs> Excuse me. A couple of things actually. You know, when I, when I met my wife back in two thousand and four. By the way, that was some meeting, wasn't it? When she didn't know anything about me. And she said, tell me a little bit about yourself. That oh, wow. Was, uh, yeah. We met on Match.com. Yeah. So, um, and I, 
if I think back to when I met her in 2004, now that's after my book came out. I wasn't the person I am today. I lacked confidence. I didn't know what it meant to dress smart. Mm. I mean, I could, we can all go to Topman or wherever we might go, River Island or whatever I used to, or whatever I used to shop back then. But I think she just gave me a bit of confidence by saying, you know what, that, that suits you. So that was helpful. But, and, you know, as a speaker, I always, you know, was told you got to dress up, you got to look smart, you got to wear suits. And, and I did wear suits for a few years. But as I've got even more confident with myself, I, I think it's my style now. I, I like my tweed three-piece suits. I, I'm, very, I'm very much a Peaky Blinders fan as well, so yeah. it kind of goes together really well. And I like to I like to dress the part. I like to look a little bit different to your, you know, your, your traditional suit-wearing professional. I like to have a bit of an edge, so that's why I, why I like the tweeds and me, my pocket chain. Yeah, yeah. But, but I think what, what, why I like it so much now is I had nothing as a child. Absolutely nothing. All our clothes are from the jumble sale, the charity shops. So now to be able to afford some, you know, decent clothes, you know, I'm, I'm going to try and look the part and, and feel good about myself. I think you have to look the part and feel good about yourself. Yeah, completely. Is, so are you being you or are you being... So are, do you, I guess what, what is my well, question? So... Say, say again, sorry? a bit deep am i being me or am i yeah so and, and what i mean by that authenticity people being authentic loads of people say it and 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 you you've you've just said that you love the tweed and 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 your particular look so and is do you dress the way you dress when you're not in front of a camera yes throughout the week not on a weekend when i'm with my family yeah yeah i'm in the office as i am today i'm wearing a tweed today yeah yeah because i've been a camera if i'm out in in work mode i'll i'll wear my tweeds and I might dress down a little bit and just have a pair of jeans on and a white shirt and a jacket. Yeah. That's the least I will wear. But I won't be, you won't see me walking around in trainers no. throughout the week, that is. But you will on a weekend. You'll only see me wearing trainers on a weekend, unless I'm, unless I'm speaking somewhere. Yeah. But going back to that question, am I being me? It's a really good question because am I being me or am I being a version of me? I think we wear different hats at different times. And we, we wear that hat and... Well, not all of us actually wear the hat in the way that we think we should be wearing it or we feel comfortable. So it's, it's a really big question that, am I being me? I think I'm being the best version of me that I feel comfortable with at this time. Yeah, okay. No, that, that makes perfect sense. And and the reason why I asked the question is, um, so in, in the early days of the podcast, so the podcast now is 50, 50 odd episodes um, going. And, and the reason why I started the podcast is um, I, I lost my best mate last year um, of, of cancer. And, and before before he passed, um, he, he offered to uh, to lend me some money to set myself up in, in consultancy by myself and, and stuff. And I turned it down and he, he had, he had um, six months to live and his perspective on life changed. And I asked him for three three life lessons, um, and of what are the most important to him through through those eyes. And he said the f- the first the first thing for him is is when him and um, one of his ex partners were uh, going through a bad time and they was they were splitting up. He tried to be somebody he wasn't, and then he, he was really unhappy, uh, and they, they didn't end up staying together. So he said the um, always be yourself is the is the number one lesson that he would want me to pass on to his two boys and 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 and, and his family and, and stuff and friends because that's for him is the most important what is was the most important thing um that that he had or that that he thought through his eyes at that point in time which is which is why i, I asked the question yeah that's a great great life that's also the other two can, can you share them yeah of course i can um so yeah so the first one was always be yourself the second one was um make good friends 
And so as, as I was visiting him and, and there's other people ringing him up and, and things, he said when he was growing up, um, he had an opportunity. So I, he was my best friend. He was my best mate. He was lived next door but three to me for, for 39 years. And, and he said that uh, when we were growing up, we went to different schools and he could have chosen a different path with different friends and, and he wouldn't think that they would be with him at that point in time and helping him with his will and, and all of that stuff. Um, so he said the second one is, is always make good friends. And then I've, I've kind of taken that and I, and I think that that is both personal and business because I think you can make good friends, good connections, good clients. It's all about people. Um, so I've, I've kind of elaborated on that in, in some of the earlier podcasts. Uh, so that was the second one. So yeah, always be yourself, make good friends. And then the third one, um, when it was about a week, a, a week to go, we went to, uh, to Anfield and um, I was wheeling him round. Um, so we both support Liverpool and his youngest boy wanted it had never been around the stadium to us. So we, we took him. Um, and on the way back, he said, oh, I so wished I could have done this without uh, without the wheelchair, without being a burden, when I could have sat in the chairs with you. So the third one is time is limited, so act now. Which And, and then when I saw, because I spent the last night with him in the hospice, and when I, when I came out from the bathroom and he took his last breath, I thought, fucking hell, I'm gonna. I've now got. I've got to act now and, and stop playing at things, and I've got to just go go full into it, which is what what then kickstarted this uh, this podcast. So yeah, so always be yourself, make good friends, and, and time is limited. Are, are those three lessons that I, that I got from him? Got from him. Brilliant, absolutely fantastic. Actually, I was at a funeral on Saturday. Just Saturday, a friend of mine, her husband died, and it was an unusual one to be on a Saturday. But one of the bits of advice she gave us all was. And this came from her husband who had passed. If you knew your time was limited, would you do anything different? And it got me thinking, gosh, yeah, what do I want to do? You're saying the same thing. Because it's yeah. true, isn't it? Time is limited. And I'm 50 next week. We only have so many sets of 10 years. I've probably got two good sets of 10 years where I'm healthy doing what I can do. But uh, yeah, great, great. I wrote them down, by the way, because I might share them in a blog post. No, no, fantastic, yeah. Um, it does all put everything into perspective, though, doesn't it? It does, it does, absolutely. It does. So, so whilst we're talking about stuff like that, I, I sent a video of um, on, on LinkedIn, one of the videos that you, that you posted a few months ago, of, of your boy getting on stage um, and, and presenting in front of a number of people. How? Yeah. So I've got, I've got a six-year-old boy, four-year-old girl, and I couldn't imagine the, the conversations I would have to have with them to... To, to make it seem like a good idea. How did how did you do that? So what happened, Lee? Three, so it was my son's school, parents' evening, and on the wall, there was a picture for each child who wrote on a whiteboard what they wanted to do on their own. He wrote that he wanted to be a motivational speaker. Oh, wow. So what I did was, so I sometimes do speak on a weekend. I said, right, son, come with me. And I got him to an event, and I got him to stand up and just say, I asked him to say a few words and he said no. And then the next time he did it, I got to do seven words. And it just it just built up like that, you know, a small event of hundred people. Then it was hundred and fifty people. And he got then he got then he got the desire to do it then, to do a big presentation. So we just sat down and we it, it did exactly what I described earlier on. It got comfortable with feeling uncomfortable. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and obviously he'd seen his dad doing it, so it was, it was normal to him. Yeah. Not normal. It wasn't I mean, I'm no superhero. I'm just the average guy, Lee. So he sees his dad's just an average guy, and he sees his dad on stage at these big audiences. So he knows that it's not actually as as bad as we think it is because my dad can do it. So I think that's what gave him the awareness that it's possible for him. And we just, I just coached him. 
And he just repeated the sentences that I was going to say over and over again. The next big one was a thousand people, and then it was 1,500 teachers at the Leeds Arena, culminated in the one that you've probably seen, which was 3,000 people at the Echo Arena. And I honestly, I could not have been more proud. I could yeah. not have been more proud. And I don't, and he's never done one since because he only wants to get bigger and bigger. Yeah. <laughs> but, so, but the very fact that he did it, you know, was great. And if he becomes a motivational speaker, you'll be able to show that footage because, you know, it's, it's, well, it's there ain't many adults that have spoken to 3,000 people, let alone eight-year-old boys. You mentioned you've got a six-year-old. He then inspired my six-year-old daughter, who's now nine. Now, she wanted to speak in front of an audience. So then she does it age six in front of 200 people at one of my ICANN Live events. Uh, so it's always my fans that are there. So it's a really nice audience. And, it, you know, to see her then do that. So she was inspired by him. It's brilliant. I love it. Absolutely love it. You know, one of the best things to come out of his mouth was this. He spoke at the, about two and a half years ago to 400, 400 people. We're walking. I'd spoken as well. We're walking to the car and he turned around and he said, Dad, do they pay you for that? <laughs> said, yes, son. It's my job. You're just having a chat. It's like you're in the playground with your friends. But he's right. So what we tend to do, and I did it as a young adult, is we beat ourselves up about this thing, this 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 skill set, this standing up and speaking, it's just a chat. And the more chatter we can make our presentations, well, the more authentic they're going to be. And, it, you know, it, it, yeah, the, it hit the nail on the head with that one. Yeah, completely. Did, did they both still want to be motivational speakers now they've done it? No. He's, he's, not, he's not done it since. His passion now is, is you know what he's into now? He's into prosthetics. You know, putting scars on you and false blood and all that stuff. Oh, wow. He's into all that now. He goes through little phases. It was knitting when he was five. Then it was loom bands. Then it was fidget spinners. And then it was speaking. And now he's got his clarinet and, and and prosthetics. And who knows where he's going to end up. But he'll certainly get some encouragement from us along the way. Oh, yeah. And there's plenty of time for him to decide what he wants what he wants to be when he's older as well. No, fantastic. No, very good. So you've, um, you've, you've spoken a number of times. You've coached people a number of times. You've trained people a number of times. What are some of the common mistakes that you see people do before before they um, before before they approach or go on the go on the training or coaching from yourself? One of, one of the common things that I see for speakers, and I mean, I mean, I, listen, there's no, no groundbreaking about presentations. You know, I've been, I've, I've been on many courses myself. Some good, some not so good. But in fact, mostly not so good. There's nothing complicated about it. But it, so when I deliver them. It, I just go through the basics, the eye contact, where you put your hands, the vocal variety. The, I think the two key areas, that if you could just do these two areas better, you'd, you'd stand out as a speaker. One is the eye contact. I find that a lot of people are scared at looking in the eyes of their audience members. Yeah. I remember I spoke, where was it, a place called Canuck about five years ago. And this, it was mainly women. There's a couple of guys, and I kept, I kept looking at this guy with his short sleeve, brute, uh, you know, uh, tattoos on his arms. I kept looking at him every once in a while. At the end of the presentation, he came up to me, shook me on and said, hey, Richard, he said, do you know when you were speaking then? He said, I felt like you were talking to me. I said, I was talking to you. And he felt like I was talking to him because I looked him right in the eye just for a few seconds. Yeah. And that, that's, that's the key area that within all the things that I do where people struggle with it because I don't know about you and I don't know how much you've spoken to if at all, but I used to be petrified of looking at them in the eye because I was convinced that if I saw a facial expression that confirmed that they weren't enjoying it, that I'd go to pieces. So I'd rather not look them in the eye. But actually, that is the way to be. You've you, you got to connect with your audience and they do it through the eyes. Yeah, so no, 
I think that makes that makes perfect sense. So, um, I used to I used to DJ when I was growing up, and I always remember my very first um, my very first gig. It was a girl's 18th birthday party. I was about 19 years old myself, um, and I did my introduction hid behind the speaker over a microphone, so the the audience were looking at the stage, and the stage was empty, and I was oh. uh, like hid behind the behind the speakers. Um, so yeah, that, that was me, that was my very first one. But exactly for that reason, because I thought I'm I'm saying stuff and that. And I can't look at people whilst I was saying it, or at that point in time, I couldn't. Yeah, I get so, it. Like, what, what was your second? What's the second one? Well, there's, not, there's loads, but the second key area is the vocal variety. So when I first started speaking, I would speak like this. I would just share my story, and that's what sends people to sleep. It's just hypnot- hypnotizes people. It's just not engaging. Versus what I'm doing now, which is raising my voice, you know, slowing things down speaking a bit quieter and then pick up again you know variety our audience want variety variety in you as a dj variety in music variety in slides and images variety in the way that you deliver variety in content we just want variety and the way in which you can do that speaking with passion yeah yeah okay no that's good so to speak with passion do you need to do you need to in fact do you believe that you need to believe in the content or can you um, speak with passion without really believing the message? Ooh, what a good question. And, and you know, Of course, some people are asked in organisations to speak about a subject that they've got you know, no awareness of. So I, I get that sometimes. If you can get away with that, I would choose not to do it. I don't think you should be speaking passionately about a subject that you don't believe in. I, I don't think you should be doing it. Yeah. I, I'm trying to think of a scenario where somebody might get asked to speak about that. Well, no, I can actually. I, I used to do telesales training at the Yorkshire Post, and I remember that I had to stand up and give training session. No, no, but I did believe in the I did believe in the job. So no, that's that's I'm contradicting myself there. But um, I guess to answer to your question, I don't think you should be speaking off well passionately about a subject if you absolutely do not believe in it. But I yeah. think it's possible. I think it's possible to do. Yeah. Okay. Good stuff. Thank you. And do you have a do you have a third a third thing as well or? that you can share? So eye contact, vocal delivery and variety. Well, I think another key area, and this is what we do at the Gravitas Retreat, is storytelling. It's storytelling is where we engage an audience. So even if you weren't given any eye contact and you weren't able to speak passionately, but you were able to tell a story, I'd settle for that over not telling a story, but telling it passionately. When we need a story, it fires up more parts of the brain. So if I tell a story, about how I, I don't know, I, I ran a race at school or my son ran a race. What happens is the parts of your brain that will be required for you to run a race yourself would be fired up. So when you can tell stories with emotion and scenarios and such like, it just, it just connects with more parts of the brain. It's a, it's a fact. Yeah. Do you, so do, you have a, do you have a model for, for storytelling or just a beginning, a middle and an end? Well, I don't have a beginning. I mean, there's different structure types, by the way, because sometimes you start in the middle and then go down. A bit like Breaking Bad. Yeah. It starts with, I forgot his name, but the guy that does all the drug dealing and drug making, it starts with him driving through the desert in a caravan and there's drugs going everywhere and he falls out. Well, that's not the start of the story, but that's how it all starts. Then it goes back in time and tells a story about how they got to there. That's called in media res. It doesn't mean starting in the middle and going back in time. Like I could start a presentation and I once did for Barclays. I said, uh, 20, 21 years ago today, I was sent to prison. 
And if you're looking out that window over there, it's that prison there because it was in Leeds. Yeah. And it's a few minutes of how I ended up in prison. But before I do, let me just go back in time. And then I go back in time to tell my childhood. So, I mean, the typical traditional story, I mean, would be beginning, middle and end. But there's different... There's, there's, we haven't got time to go through all the different structure no. types. Mine, personally, is like a mountain range, up and down, up and down. It isn't just like one setback yeah. and then you bounce back. There's a number of them, so it's like a mountain range. But 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 I think that beginning, middle, and end is a is a traditional way of doing it. What I try and encourage people to do is not to do it the traditional way. Let's start differently. Let's start with something that they're not expecting. Yeah. And and, and get the get their audience members off the phone. You you've got to stand out, you've got to be engaging, passionate, and tell stories. And yeah. I don't know how old you are, Lee. Um, 40. Oh, you, you might be able to answer this. I'll give you a question here. Can you remember an advert? Years ago, it was about an old man who was looking for a book. He rings round all the bookshops trying to search for this book. Oh, yellow, yellow pages it was advertising. Do you remember? Yes, I do. But you're not going to be able to tell me how you what book it was or who he was. You're not. No, I'm not. But I, I, yeah, I remember the advert. His name was J.R. Hartley. J.R. Hartley. Yeah, was it some fishing? Something. It was fly fishing. I think yeah. we almost. Uh, my point is that is 30 years since that was on the TV. So you'd have been a young child, but you can still remember that story. And it, that, that that is the strength of a really great story with emotion in there, and which is why we should be telling them. Even when we're telling dry or sharing dry information, you know, end of year figures. Yeah, give us the end of the year figures, but tell me a bit of a story about something that's happened throughout yeah. the year to get there. That's how you're going to connect deeper with an audience and keep them engaged. Yeah, brilliant. And talking about engagement and keeping, you're, you're quite a prolific LinkedIner. Aren't you? So, is, is is there a secret behind your your LinkedIn success? Well, do you know what? Like many of your listeners, probably yourself. I mean, I've been on LinkedIn for years, but I've been a bit intimidated by that professional environment, and I've been reluctant to know what to share, so I just didn't share. I might make the odd comment about something. Two years ago, I put a picture up there. It was the second of January. It was a picture of me inside Armley Prison. I don't know if you saw it, and it's quite a striking image. And all I put on was a post which said, 20 years ago today, I got sent to prison. I said a few things about what it was about and how I thought my life was over. I posted that. It got seen by 225,000 views uh, viewers. I got people messaging me saying, can we book you for my conference? Now, they didn't even know that I'd been, uh, sorry, they didn't even know the entire story. They just knew that I had a bit of a story to tell. And then, so what I did was two weeks later, I did it all again. I did another post, and it was a similar post. It was me on the landing in Army Prison, and I said, oh, 20 years ago today, or 21 years ago, I'd been in prison for two weeks. That got three million views. Bloody hell. More, more bookings to speak, and I thought, oh, I've dropped on something here. And what I've learned, and that's why you see me on LinkedIn on all the time, is sharing something that's interesting, something that's different. It just gets engagement. and gets you noticed by people that are not on your radar, who, whose radar you are not on. An example of that would be, I put a post on 18 months ago. I can't remember. It was, a, it was an anniversary. Yeah. Loads of people commented on it. Somebody at Vodafone, the HQ in Luxembourg, who I'm not connected to, but was connected to the person that commented, just looked at the comment that their friend had made, then looked at my profile, saw a video, saw some of my posts, and rang me up and said, can you come out to Luxembourg to work with some of our leadership team? Booked me straight away within about six weeks. Flew out there. Nice corporate fee. My point is, and the reason that I got that work is because they noticed me on LinkedIn through somebody else. 
That, that, yeah. That's the I'll put postly on, on LinkedIn about my daughter's homework. I'll get 30,000 views. So I went from 3,000 followers. I've now got 24,000 followers. And I think half of my work comes through LinkedIn posts and recommendations what? and just seeing what I do. Wow. Wow. What, what's next for you, Richard? More presentation skills, more of a Gravitas speaker retreat. But resilience is a new workshop that I've been working on throughout the year. So I've done that a few times. And I'm, uh, so, yes, yeah, so it's more than just Richard's story. It's an interactive session called I Can Be Resilient. There's always yeah. I Can Be Whatever yeah. I Do. But I've also started a bit of a spiritual, well, I've always been on a bit of a spiritual journey. So last week, it was the anniversary of the day my died last Wednesday. So I, I launched another event called Believe. It's not for everybody. But what I do believe is there's more to this world than we can fully explain and that our loved ones can communicate with us. I know I've probably lost half your viewers or your listeners <laughs> now, but there's certainly stuff going on that if I could share it with you now, it would blow you away. I've had, audio, I've had interference on broadcasts. I've had things appearing in front of me on webinars that are inexplainable and just, just music coming on, all sorts of things. So that's a new thing to me. It's not a particularly commercial thing, but it's just something that I feel guided to share because it, basically helps people that have lost loved ones. Yeah, yeah, okay. So th thank you for that. You, you've got a whole host of irons and a whole host of number of different fires. What um, what do you believe, in, in? what problems do you solve first? I guess, I guess this is the bit where actually I go, we go, okay, if, pe if somebody had a problem, what problem would they need to have for you to help them? Well, if, if, if they've got a fear of speaking for one, yeah. if they've got a fear of speaking, they're not, they're not engaging an organ, in audience in a way that they could, I can help them in many ways. I'm a one-to-one -one coach in my I Can Speak bootcamp on my Gravitas retreat. And that, that goes without saying. As a motivational speaker, the, often the problems I'm going to solve are those that are, are organizations who, I don't know, if it's a sales organization and they've had a bad year, they might help me go in there and re-inject a bit of inspiration. If there's an organization going through some change and they want to put their change into perspective, I can help with that because when you hear about some of the things, and you've heard some of them that I've been through, yeah. it, it just helps people. Uh, the Resilience Workshop helps people that are going through stress in their lives, personal lives, the business lives, the work life, help them, give them some tools to better deal with that. And the kind of things that, those are the kind of things that help people with. Yeah, yeah, no, good stuff. Thank you. Thank you. And as you know, this podcast is called Business Problem Solve. What do you think is the number one business problem that needs solving? Uh, well, in business, I could, I could say there's too many people that stand up and share a message and they don't do it in an engaging way. If I can actually share something else, that's nothing to do with me, yeah. but it affects me and probably affects you and everybody else. And that is really poor customer service. It's one of my bugbears. <laughs> so today, my, today is my son's 12th birthday, and I told you that he's into prosthetics. Yeah. So some money, we had a party, we've got a meal this evening. His main present was a really great gift set, which was quite expensive. It didn't arrive on time. It didn't arrive, so he's not got his main birthday present. So my wife went on to Amazon. It's not Amazon's fault. It's the supplier to complain to say it's not been delivered. We've not even had a response from those messages, even though they're saying that it's been delivered. So he's not got his present. So their customer service is what bottom. There isn't any. So I think the service and where that people deal with customers is, is well, in the UK, anyway, is really, really poor in a lot of cases, especially retail as well. I'm really tired of going in somewhere and, and behind the counter, they're chatting away. And they're not giving the focus to the customer. So poor customer service is uh, something that needs working on in the UK and in many cases solving for some.
Yeah, no, completely, completely agree. Completely agree. It's a right, it's a right mixed bag. So, are you saying it's a, it was it the carrier problem? Was it the people that were delivering the pro, the the ones well, that you're in it? I don't know why it's not been delivered. All I know is when we've reached out to the supplier, they've yeah. not even acknowledged our messages. Oh wow! Let, let, let alone try to solve it, we're not even responding. So we're now going to go to Amazon to get a put a claim in. Well, that's ridiculous. So I put yeah. you on this morning, highlighting yeah. how poor their customer service was. Wow. Okay. No, completely. It's a, it's a big problem that they definitely need solving. How can people find, find, apart from LinkedIn, where else are you and how can people find you? Well, LinkedIn's a really good place to start. You know, Richard McCann, but I'm on Twitter. I can inspire. My website is richardmccann.co.uk or on um, the icanacademy.co.uk. They both got the same place and all my offerings are on there. And it'd be lovely, lovely to hear from people. So your website is the place where all of your, all of your courses and offerings are. Is that is that well, what I've just understood? Yeah. Apart from my believe in them, because it's a little bit woo woo, as some people might say. I don't <laughs> advertise on the website. You need to get all of that through social media like LinkedIn, Facebook, etc. So uh, I'm just a bit reluctant to uh, put my head up above the parapet just yet, cause, just because it's quite deep and a bit yeah. spiritual. It's not for everybody. No, no, completely not. It's good. Thank, thank you for that. Um, so I am conscious of the time. You have a family that wants feeding. Um, I just want to say thank you very much for your for your time um, this, this evening. It's been much appreciated. Um, and hopefully I'll get the opportunity to uh, to chat with you again uh, soon. So much appreciated, Richard. Thank you. Where do you live? Where are you from? Well, where am I from? Um, so I'm from the I'm from the other side of the hills. Uh, wow. So should we, I shouldn't have started with that, should I? So, you should have mentioned that at the beginning. Yeah, <laughs> would, it, would it have been a completely different conversation? No, it's been a pleasure, mate. Yeah, no, much much appreciate. Yeah, so I'm I'm from a little town called Chorley, um, in between Preston and Bolton. That's that's home for me. Very good. Well, it's been a real pleasure to have uh, to um, to have me on the show, and uh, and good luck with it. I hope people benefit from it. Much appreciate. Thanks again, Richard. Have a lovely uh, birthday. I hope you your um, your boy has uh, an amazing birthday. Yeah, thank you. Thanks very much, Richard. Thanks for listening to Business Problems Solved. You can contact Lee on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lee Horton, the business problem solver, or via visiting www.leehorton.com for more content and to solve your business problems. And remember, saying you know how to do it is not doing it.